Welcome to the Stop Dieting Podcast, hosted by best-selling, award-winning author and renowned weight loss expert, David Medansky. If you struggle to lose weight or you've lost weight and gained it back, you'll want to listen each week. Each week, you will learn tips for healthy weight loss without going on a diet, without having to follow an exercise program, without counting calories, or having to purchase special meals or products. The Stop Dieting Podcast is more than just about healthy and sustainable weight loss. You will also learn how you can have more energy, feel better, get rid of brain fog, and improve your overall health. Stay tuned for another informative and insightful episode. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and share this with your friends. Hi, welcome to another episode of Stop Dieting. This is your host, David Medansky. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Carrie Reller. Dr. Reller is board certified physician in family medicine and obesity medicine practicing in Clearwater, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Reller. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited. So how did you get into being a certified physician in obesity medicine? So great question. I basically have been interested in health and fitness most of my life, most of my adult life. And honestly, during the pandemic is when things got a little, I guess, slow. And I was looking for other you know, resources to learn and help my patients more. And I kind of just stumbled across it. And I'm really surprised I hadn't stumbled across it sooner. And I'm kind of bummed I actually didn't even, you know, learn this stuff during residency or anything like that. And we just weren't taught about obesity medicine at all as a field. So I didn't come across it till like 2020, but like, you know, discussing with you a little bit earlier, but I had kind of had a passion for weight and fitness before because I had my own journey as well. So not till recently, but. It's definitely helpful for my patients. So but tell us a little bit about your own weight loss journey. Yeah. So I guess as I entered puberty, I started gaining weight a little bit more and it was affecting my fitness level for trying to be competitive in soccer. And I had parents that, you know, were trying to help me out. So they encouraged me to go into Weight Watchers when I was 18. And that was like at the end of my senior year of high school. And, you know, it worked for me. It kind of taught me how to eat right. I obviously didn't do it once I left for college, but I did do it again and signed up with, again, parental encouragement in college after I studied abroad when I gained a lot of weight just from totally different lifestyle, not working out as much. I walked a lot, but different eating habits and definitely alcohol consumption for enjoying the studying abroad lifestyle in London. So I had been involved in Weight Watchers pretty much since then on and off, but I definitely have been a lifetime member since 2003, I think 2002 or three. And I, I still go and weigh in monthly now. And I think that it's been an evolving program that they have. And, you know, it's, good for some and not good for others. But, you know, that was kind of my journey. And since I've started studying obesity medicine, I think I kind of reached different goals. And I have, you know, probably lost that like last 10 pounds I never thought I could do. Because 
just learning different things. And that's more like a, you know, it's a disease that has to be monitored. And I do that by weighing in daily, you know, and kind of keeping accountable um, to myself as well. So. So you indicated that obesity is a disease. Could you elaborate a little bit on that for the audience? Yes. I had a feeling you would ask me that. So I actually wrote out what the Obesity Medicine Association defines obesity as a disease. Okay. So obesity is defined as a chronic, progressive, relapsing, multifactorial neurobehavioral disease wherein an increase in body fat promotes adipose tissue dysfunction and abnormal fat mass physical forces, resulting in adverse metabolic, biomechanical, and psychosocial health consequences. There's no way I can memorize it. That's why I wrote it down. But that's kind of encompasses like the whole, you know, body changes that happen with the disease of obesity. And that's why we consider it that because a disease is actually, you know, defined as a condition of the living animal or plant and one of its parts that impairs normal functioning. And that usually and manifests in signs and symptoms. So because of the, you know, the definition of, of actual disease, we usually think that obesity is should be defined as such. I find that interesting, especially since approximately 72% of the U.S. adult population is overweight, of which 42% are considered clinically obese. So we're talking approximately half of the U.S. adult population as having a disease, and yet it seems like nothing is being done about it. As a medical professional who specializes in obesity, what do you usually talk to your patients about? So, well, first I kind of bring them in and rule out like any other cause that may be, you know, contributing to it. So like for instance, like hypothyroidism, usually I don't see too many genetic causes, like actual like leptin deficiency or anything like that, but trying to rule out things like that and also check on the associated comorbidities like cholesterol or blood pressure, diabetes and things like that. And then after kind of teasing out that and what medications they may be on for another reason that could be the contributor to, you know, inducing obesity or metabolic syndrome in those patients, then I kind of move on and, you know, look at their whole lifestyle and, you know, see where things are maybe not conducive to their eating patterns and everything that we can kind of fix a little bit. So we start out, you know, taking a really good history and then my step one is usually kind of trying to discuss with them to eliminate sugar sweetened beverages. And I just don't, it's really hard for people to make progress there. And actually I had a patient recently who was drinking 96 ounces of Mountain Dew a day. Wow. Yeah. He did not really think he could stop drinking soda. He was, you know, kind of getting it free at work and so I, I don't usually condone like switching over to diet, but I'm like, you could at least, at least consider that. So he did do that. And he's lost like 40 pounds since I met him just by switching off of regular soda. So I usually start there. And then this, the second thing I start with is listening to your body, right? A lot of people, we are eating for reasons, you know, for pleasure, for joy, for sad, for pain for whatever reason, like an emotional reason, right? Not to fuel our body and, and often overeating. So I usually say, listen to your body. Are you actually physically hungry or is this emotional hunger? 
And I often give them the tool of a hunger scale to kind of, you know, I guess, diagnose what they think is going on and learn that, you know, they need to eat in this certain range and not, you know, where they feel like they need to lean back and, you know, open their pants because they're too full or whatever. Right. So I tried to give them the guidelines of a hunger scale. And I usually do a negative 10 to plus 10 and tell them to eat in like a negative four to plus four window. Like 10 is, you know, going to be next week, Thanksgiving plus 10 is, and don't do that. Although this podcast will be released in March, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, plus 10 is like, you know, overeating Thanksgiving. And then minus 10 is like ravenous. You're going to like eat your own arm or something like that. So I try to keep them in that window. And that's really a hard thing for people to do, including myself, like daily. I think I'm a person that eats too fast. And I try to counsel my patients on not eating so fast, because if you're eating too fast, you're not going to know that you get to that plus four you know, when you do, it's going to come later. Instead, you may have to stop at plus three and then, you know, you stop a little bit earlier so you don't get too full too fast. So those are the first kind of two things I do, I think, most of all. So, Well, that's interesting. I know that most of us eat too fast because we're always in a hurry and we're eating it while working or watching TV or being distracted. So I call it mindless eating. I read a book by Mark David, who wrote the slow down diet. And what he advocates is if you take five minutes for breakfast, give yourself 10. And at a minimum, give yourself 30 minutes for lunch and 30 minutes for dinner. And just take time away from whatever you're doing and focus on the food you're eating, as opposed to eating while you're driving or at work. I'm curious because I am against diet sodas because of the aspartame, which causes weight gain. So I was curious as to why the person with the Mountain Dew would switch or reduce the amount, maybe switch over to water in between two. I mean, I was just curious about that. Why wouldn't he? So he works at a gas station and he gets those big giant phone cups of soda. And he just like said, that's not something that he could really do. So I was just trying to, you know, do what I can in one way to not to progress to diabetes. So that's all he said he could do. Sometimes you have to work with the patient, right? I, I agree. I don't really want to encourage diet soda use, but I do think it's somewhat better than regular soda. So usually I definitely water, but yeah. Yeah. I just want to clarify so that some of the audience won't think, oh, diet soda is okay. <laughs> definitely not. No, I'm not really. Yeah. That's why I said I don't really condone the diet soda, but I got to meet meet everybody where they're willing to budge on their habits. Now, there's differences with obesity physicians. Some of them recommend the bariatric or the lap bands for treatment. Some recommend lifestyle changes. Some recommend you know changing eating habits. What's your opinion about some of that? So I think you got to see what the patient is interested in. I think lap bands are definitely out of favor if you're talking about bariatric procedures. I think that that can be a good choice for a certain person. I definitely like to start with lifestyle modification. I do think if they have diabetes or insulin resistance, there is a role for medication and, you know, to help make the cells more sensitive to insulin. And there was one other thing you asked me that I can't remember. You said it was the bariatric or lifestyle and eating habits. 
Oh, just lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, no, that's definitely where we start for sure. Yeah. Lifestyle and eating habits and, you know, bringing in the whole picture of everything too, not just eating habits, but mindfulness and water intake and movement and everything. It sounds like you take a lot of time with your patients as opposed to just spending a few minutes in and out of the office, like most physicians have to do now because of various reasons, which I don't want to get into, but it sounds like you do take a lot of time with your patients. I do. I try to. And I mean, I wish I could give even more time, but that's not that realistic because I am in a fee-for-service model, but I give at least 30 minutes for a new patient weight management visit and for the follow-ups too. And sometimes it takes more than one visit to do the intake. Have you heard of that new drug that people are using to curb appetite? I believe it's Wovi or Wavy. Wagovi? Wagovi, yeah. So there are there are several. Those are the GLP ones. Wagovi is the one that is FDA approved for obesity. Its counterpart is Ozempic. That's for only for diabetes. And there's an even newer one, Munjaro, which has the GLP one and GIP intestinal hormones that they are agonists for. That they work very well, and they're very good in diabetes. So basically with uncontrolled diabetes, we measure, you know, the hemoglobin A1C or the blood sugar, and it's an average of that blood sugar over the three month period. So when I was trained in residency, they told us to start insulin, like when that hemoglobin A1C is above 10. Now the diagnosis of diabetes is at 6.5 and the diagnosis of pre-diabetes is at 5.7. So 10 is considered really uncontrolled diabetes. They told us to start insulin. Now, if I did that now, the people would never come off insulin. Insulin is a fat storage hormone. They're not going to you know, be able to release any fat and they would still be struggling with elevated blood sugars without doing that. Instead, with these new drugs that are, you know, the GLP-1 agonists were able to not have to do insulin. And actually, these are so good for weight loss because the GLP-1 hormone also works in the brain, in the hypothalamus to decrease, basically to cause satiety or, you know, the feeling of fullness. So those drugs actually help people feel fuller, you know, faster and longer. That's how they get weight loss. Yeah. Once the person loses the weight, are they able to keep it off? That's the question. Cause as you and I know, 90% of you know, people who lose weight on a diet gain it all back after they go off the diet because they revert back to their old eating habits. So is it part of the process to re-educate them as to their new eating habits? Yeah, definitely. At least, you know, what I'm doing is definitely trying to bring in the lifestyle component as well, because you're totally right. If they, you know, the big thing is if they come off the medication, they're still likely to gain the weight. Back. And I don't think we have enough long-term data to know like when is an appropriate time to remove the medication, if ever. So these medicines, like I said, obesity is a disease. They're meant to be used, you know, to treat the disease long-term. Yeah. I agree with you on the disease part only because I consider a lot of the manufactured and processed foods to be mm-hmm. addicting, especially with the ones loaded with sugar and salt and fat that are scientifically engineered to optimize our cravings for them. So there's certain foods such as Pringles, potato chips, M&Ms, <laughs> Hershey bars, I need to avoid like an alcoholic avoids alcohol. I'm not an alcoholic, 
but I know that if I have just one or two of those, I won't stop because of the addiction part of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I see a lot of that too. And honestly, I don't give anyone a diet or anything. Sometimes I give them, you know, a handout on what are some healthy foods, maybe at a pattern of eating because they may not have any nutritional knowledge yet. And I can say you can take a, you know, a moderate approach, an aggressive approach, or, you know, and then, you know, we decide later on if it's working out. Right. So I may say my most aggressive approach is eliminating sugar and flour exactly for the same reasons that you just mentioned, and obviously less processed foods in general. And if they don't think they can do that, I might do a step down of, you know, quote, everything in moderation, right? And maybe reducing portion sizes and things like that. But if they have that addictive personality like you, they may, you know, have trouble doing everything in moderation and they really need to consider the next level of getting that out of their diet and seeing how their, you know, mind changes as well. Yeah. Mindset's very important with the behavioral changes. Yes, totally agree. What do you believe or is your opinion as to why people overeat? Why they overeat? I think they overeat because food tastes good. They like the sensation of feeling full. They kind of can't stop themselves when they're eating. That's like if you're eating and you want to not stop eating, right? If you're then for overeating in general of when you're not actually hungry and you're just eating, you're eating because it's time to eat. You're eating because the person next to you is eating, right? You're eating because um, you won the game, you lost the game. Same thing with alcohol, right? You're celebrating for a good reason or a bad reason. And food and alcohol do go hand in hand with that. So I think they're overeating it because they can't stop. I mean, until, you know, soon enough. They should be stopping earlier, but then also they're eating because they're not physically hungry. And I think that's a big part of it. And people, sometimes I ask them all these questions with, you know, do you emotionally eat? And I try to define it for them and they still kind of say no. And I'm like, I bet you do. Everybody does. I do 100%. I do too. I I used to believe that people were eating because of comfort and stress. However, I've changed my opinion since then. And I heard another medical professional state it's because of convenience, because it's easier to go through the fast food drive through window. It's easier to order a pizza or pick up a bucket of fried chicken or, you know, pick up some Chinese food or get the frozen meals and pop them in the microwave. So we've become lazier as we've increased our knowledge. It used to be you would see people at the grocery store with their motorized carts you know, shopping carts driving around and instead of walking. And now they don't even have to go to the grocery store. They can just, you know, have it delivered to their home. So it's making it more convenient for them to get food and less physical activity. Yeah, that's totally true. So that's part of our like primitive brain that works like with convenience and pleasure and just wanting to get access to things easier, right? So that's one way to combat that, like without, you know, like when you're on the way home from work and wanting to go through the drive-thru or whatever, is to have patients kind of make a plan for what they're going to eat the day before and using, you know, your executive cognitive prefrontal cortex to make those decisions, right? Like even for yesterday, for example, you know, I had a plan that I was going to, you know, eat healthy, right? Or 
stick to what I normally eat. So like maybe eggs for breakfast or something like that. Right. And then I go to a lunch and they have, you know, pharmaceutical reps brought us a lunch, right? They brought us those Chick-fil-A cookies (laughs) that are like one of my favorite things. And when I was pregnant, I can't tell you how many I ate. Okay. But, you know, I didn't plan for it that day. So I, what you can do is, you know, okay, maybe I'll take one home. I'll wrap it up. And when I plan for it, I will eat it then. Like when I am prepared to make that decision, right? With my executive brain rather than my toddler brain. So I often, you know, try to get people to make a plan of food to be able to combat that. Oh God, I'm too tired. I'm going to just go through the drive through or, you know, somebody brought in an awesome meal at work and I'm just going to eat that instead of my healthy salad I brought or something like that. Yeah. I understand that. I usually have three little lines I use. The first one is more for you. So I don't have to eat it. The second one is it'll look better on you than me. And the third one is better in the trash than am I ass. That's a good one too. Yeah. We are not garbage cans. Yeah. Yeah. Or when the holidays coming up, you know, when people go to their hostess usually made meals and gone out of their way, you know, to prepare the meal and and the expense. So people sometimes feel obligated. So usually I, I just tell people, look, just explain to the host that you're on a restricted diet. They don't need to know why you're on a restricted diet and that you appreciate the effort but you're unable to enjoy certain things that they've prepared for them. Yeah. Or you can also kind of wrap it up and take it home and decide whatever you want to do with it at that point as well. Yeah. Exactly. Are you able to work with patients outside of Florida or does it have to be in person? Well, technically, well, I know I can be not in person, but it does have to be in Florida right now. I'm only licensed in Florida right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think in the future, one day I will be, you know, doing some more telemedicine. I'm not able to do it yet. <laughs> what other advice can you give to the audience about changing their lifestyle and eating habits? Well, like you were saying with the convenience thing. So I think it's important to kind of make purposeful movement, right? We only have like an attention span of about 50 minutes, they say, or you can work well for 50 minutes and then you should take a break, right? So for that break time, you know, you should get up and walk around and drink your water. And I think that's usually a good cue, if especially if they have one of those bits or watches that kind of remind you to move. So I think that's good, just kind of getting in purposeful movement. And then I think Water obviously is important too. It's often a reason why you think you're hungry and you're not. So I usually say just make sure your urine is clear, drink half your body weight in water in ounces. Oh, that's great advice. Because I know that 75% of the U.S. population is chronically dehydrated. And in my opinion, there's a direct correlation to 72% of the U.S. adult population being overweight. As you mentioned, a lot of times when Mm. people are thirsty, they think they're hungry. So they eat, mm-hmm. drink water. And what I tell people is our bodies are 60 to 70% water, not soda or diet soda or fruit juices or fruit flavored beverages or alcohol beverages. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not a purist by any stretch of the imagination myself. I mean, I do enjoy a glass of wine or a piece of chocolate cake or pumpkin pie or pecan pie every once in a while. The difference being instead of eating a full slice, I'll just have half a slice or, or a sliver of it. So Let me ask you a question to reduce portion sizes. What do you recommend for patients? 
Well, I think if you really, you can learn to eyeball it, but I think if they're just starting out, it might be helpful to actually measure things out. But still, while I'm saying suggesting a certain portion size, it still goes back to, are you even still hungry, right? So going back to the hunger scale, right? Just because I said you should eat like three to four ounces of grilled chicken doesn't mean that you have to finish every bite, right? I want you to actually listen to the body and stop sooner. So learning like what may be a normal portion for things is important. You know, the plate method is very helpful, right? So you have, usually you don't want to use the large dinner plate, perhaps the smaller plate, like the salad plate, and you want to fill half the plate in vegetables and then a quarter of that would be lean protein. And then the other quarter can be split with like carbs and a healthy fat or something like that is kind of what I usually try to have people learn. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people don't realize that our portions have been supersized without knowing it. In the 1900s, the average dinner size plate was nine inches in diameter. And today they're 12 inches. And at restaurants, they're 13 to 15 inches. Yet in Europe, it's still nine inches. And in Europe, they slow down and eat slow, where we tend to eat on a dinner plate instead of a salad plate, like you suggested, which is a great idea, and then eat slower. Plus, there's that Delboa illusion where if you put the exact same amount of food on a salad plate as a dinner size plate on the salad plate, it'll look like you're getting a lot more food. And on a dinner plate, it'll look like you're getting a lot less, even though it's the exact same amount. So that optical illusion can cause people to overeat sometimes. So I, I'm very appreciative and grateful that you, you mentioned that for the audience. Yeah, I didn't know that about the European size plates, but it doesn't surprise me. Another way to slow down eating, you can eat with opposite hand. So I've tried eating left-handed and that helps me a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a very fast eater. So I made it a game as to how slow I can eat. And then I learned to put my fork or spoon down between bites instead of using it as a shovel to eat as fast as possible. That's a good tip too. Yeah. Yeah. When I lost my weight, I was on HCG, but I don't believe it's available any longer. Like the injections? Correct. I did have one patient come and tell me they were on that diet. I do not know if they were getting injections or not, though. Okay, because I know that my physician, internal medicine, said it was no longer available, something with the FDA not approving it anymore. And on that, it was 550 calories a day for six weeks. The difference being the injection tricked the body into burning fat instead of muscle. And if you weren't on the injection, then your body starts burning the muscle, which is detrimental to your health as opposed to, you know, losing the fat. I had a friend that wanted to prove me wrong. So he just basically went on a starvation diet, lost the weight, however, lost all his muscle mass and had some issues with that. So he says, well, I'm going to go to the trainer and work out. And after two weeks, he asked me, can you lift more than 15 pounds? I said, yeah, why? And he says, well, I'm not able to. I said, what does your trainer say? He says, I'm not eating enough. I said, okay. <laughs> you know, what do I know? <laughs> so I know a lot of people, when they think about losing weight, they want to go on a starvation. And that's the wrong way to do it because then your body fights to, you know, keep the weight on. That's right. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned like the muscle mass loss, right? So that's something that I do with our patients. We do, I don't have like a in-body scale or anything like that. Those are quite expensive, but we do give at least 
a scale that has a bioelectrical impedance. So it does measure the fat mass versus the water mass and lean mass. And I think that helps too, because there are definitely people who've come in who maybe, you know, stayed the same or even lost a lot of weight, but their lean mass went up too. So they lost even more fat or their lean mass kind of went down. And I'm like, Hey, we need to watch that. We need to increase your protein because you're kind of, we definitely don't want muscle loss here, only fat loss. Yeah. What was interesting I had six other friends who went on the HCG diet like I did. Every one of them regained their weight back. I'm the exception because I changed my eating habits and lifestyle. And then they reverted back to their old eating habits. So that's what I tell people is you got to change your eating habits and lifestyle. The other thing is when people with their New Year's resolution start going to the gym and exercising more and eating healthier after a couple of weeks to get frustrated because the scale's not moving. And what they don't realize is they're converting their fat into muscle or they're converting muscle and replacing the fat. And as you and I both know, five pounds of muscle weighs the exact same amount as five pounds of fat. The difference being that the muscle is denser and takes up less room. So usually I'll ask people because they're getting frustrated. You know, they're on the scale. It's not moving. And I'll ask, well, how are your clothes feeling? And they're like, well, it's loose and I have more energy. And it's like, oh, okay. One of my clients even said that people were asking if he was losing weight when he wasn't. And so I said, don't go by the scale. Go by how your clothes are feeling because that makes a difference, especially when people start, you know, doing more physical activity and exercising more. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the alternate view of that is that they're going to the gym as their New Year's resolution and they're not fixing the diet, <laughs> like what they're eating, right? So there's another reason why maybe their scale isn't moving. But like you said, it could just be muscle and they were, you know, maybe dropping some clothes sizes instead. Yeah. yeah in this case, he was walking an extra five miles a day and, and riding his bicycle. So I, I knew there had to be a reason because he said he was following everything that I was suggesting for him. And I said, something doesn't add up here. <laughs> I'm sure you know, but exercise is really mostly important for bone health, right? Mental health and cardiovascular health, but not as much for, you know, weight loss, but it's very good for weight maintenance, right? So you mentioned like if you change your, you change your eating habits, right? And the other people didn't, they regained their weight. So when they, when they're starting to go back and eat the same amount of calories at the lower weight, their body isn't going to metabolize that so that they are going to obviously, you know, put the weight back on if they aren't doing anything, you know, like physically active or to cut, cut the amount of food that they're eating. Yeah. You can't just go back to the old ways. Absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent on that. That's unfortunate that people, you know, 90% of people lose weight on a diet, regain it within a year, some gain even more. What I was reading was that the average person will attempt four to five new diets each year, and the average person will attempt 126 diets during their lifetime. So usually I tell people, if you want to lose weight and keep it off, never go on a diet. Instead, change your diet. Right. Yeah. I often, every visit, I check in with my patients and make sure that I'm like, this is sustainable, right? This is not hard. Like these are changes that you can do forever, right? We're not going to just do this for a couple of months and that's it, right? So they usually say, yeah, so that's good. Cause I'm not, you know, let's not just start keto or something like that. That's not what we do. Yeah. What What's your opinion on the keto diet? I think it's very effective. It works very well, but I think it's not sustainable. So short term. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it definitely works well, but nobody ever stays on it very rarely. Yeah. The one diet that I recommend is really not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And that's the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. That's usually my handout for all the patients when they aren't sure what to do. It's like a Mediterranean pattern of eating. And that's where I, you know, tell them the, the protein, the protein carbs and the protein or the fat and carbs of, you know, if they don't have any idea of where to start with changing things or making a meal, I'm not going to hand them like a meal plan. You know, that's kind of just some tips on what, what's a good choice there. Yeah. And it's the Mediterranean that I choose to. Awesome. Any books you can recommend to people for improving their eating habits and weight loss? Anything that's resonated with you or that has made an impression on you? Well, I mean, I think most, you know, personal help books can apply to weight loss if you want them to, right? So one of my favorite ones I read recently was Eat That Frog. And that's about like Stop Procrastinating by Brian Tracy. And this is really cool because I went, I was in North Carolina and I saw a gym called Eat That Frog Fitness. I'm like, oh my God, is this based on the book? And sure enough, it was. So the idea behind the book is that you want to like kind of do your most significant, like changeable task that's going to make the biggest difference, except you really don't want to do it, but you want to do it first thing in the day. And some people that's exercise. And I think that's how that gym kind of, or that fitness center, you know, modeled their, I guess, program or whatever is basically get it done, do it first. And, you know, you'll feel much better throughout the day. So that's Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And there's another book I'm reading, Positive Intelligence by Shirzad. I don't know his last name, but that's more on the mindset piece of things. So he's got, I guess he suffered through for depression throughout his childhood and was able to come out of it. And his book talks about these 10 saboteurs that exist in your brain. And then there's the sage that has five powers and the saboteurs are like something like an avoider, like me, I'm like a procrastinator, right? And then there's like a people pleaser and there's some other ones, but everybody has a judge, right? And so the judge is like, you're judging yourself, you're judging others and you know maybe putting yourself down or something. And his book kind of teaches you how to overcome the judge, overcome the saboteurs and strengthen your sage. And it's, it's kind of using what he calls his PQ. I forget what the Q is, but, and it's kind of like mindfulness and meditation. It's just mindfulness and meditation are a subtype of PQ reps. So you have these things that you do that may strengthen your sage and kind of, I guess, get your mind more aware. So one for for food, I guess, related things, maybe eating slower, really tasting the food. Like you said, mindful eating, right? Feeling the texture, the smell, the taste, the touch and everything like that and appreciating that. And then same thing with other simple habits that you do throughout the day, like brushing your teeth, right? You can just taste the toothpaste, feel the toothbrush on your teeth and things like that. And it helps strengthen the sage and decrease all those saboteurs and kind of give you a better overall mindset and decrease in anxiety and stress and decrease those cortisol levels that are usually elevated in anybody that has stress in their life, which contributes to obesity, as you know. Yeah. That's one tip I I like to give to people that a lot of people aren't aware of that if you brush your teeth after a meal, it reduces your cravings and suppresses your hunger. Yep. 
Yeah. If you brush your teeth right after dinner, you're less likely to do that late night snacking that kind of really sabotages everybody's good day that they may have had. Right. Yeah. I can relate to that. Mm -hmm, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is like you were talking earlier about 90 to 95% of our weight issues are based on what we put into our mouth and not so much the physical activity. I know that some people have, you know, medical issues that cause weight issues and also hormones are an issue. Do you test for hormones with a lot of people, a lot of your patients? So no, well, thyroid. Yes. And sometimes I would say we might do a fasting insulin, but that's to catch like diabetes or prediabetes before, you know, you might even be diagnosed with prediabetes. So usually insulin resistance is present way sooner and we can, you know, get that. We also, you know, do cholesterol, which usually if you have something called metabolic syndrome, it's often, you know, similar to insulin resistance. So we're kind of trying to pick up on those things. I usually only do hormones if people are twisting my arm, because I don't think, you know, actually, I'm sorry, testosterone deficiency is real. It can cause elevated cholesterol and it can be, you know, a big reason why people are not gaining weight and feeling fatigued. However, if they are have overweight or obesity as well, typically they're not going to get better without lifestyle improvement. Like that might be the cause of why they have the testosterone deficiency. Yeah. So you got to weigh your pluses and minuses there of whether you should replenish them with testosterone injections or not. So that one maybe, but menopausal hormones, I don't typically do. If you're not having a period, we don't need to, you know, know that you're in menopause, you probably are. And typically the metabolism does, you know, kind of slow. I keep reading conflicting evidence. It's either 60 years old or, you know, a little sooner. So long answer, I don't test that many hormones. (laughs) I try to practice evidence-based medicine. Okay. That's interesting. That's good to know. We all procrastinate when it comes to improving our eating habits and losing weight. I know I did. I used to, you know, wait till Monday after the holidays, after vacation, after we go to a restaurant with our friends. When you tell somebody they're either a pre-diabetic or a type two diabetic, does that usually turn the light bulb on? Do they usually get more motivated or is it, well, what medicine can I take to resolve this? How, How do most of the patients react with you on that? I'm just curious. Yeah, it it depends on the patient. For prediabetes, maybe not as effective. Diabetes, I've had three patients who I've told they had, you know, pretty uncontrolled diabetes, like above 10 on their A1C. And they have come back to me three months later, totally different with controlled A1Cs. And yes, I might have helped them with a little medicine, but they really made huge changes and even lost a lot of weight as well. And it's quite impressive. I can think of three people recently that just totally changed everything. And then I can think of a person also who hasn't come back. So I don't know what's happened to her and it makes me kind of sad, right? I don't know. That's the one thing I would say to people is just keep trying, keep coming back. You know, that's what we're here for. We're not trying to, you know, make her feel bad or, you know, belittle anyone. I think it's just, we're here to help. That's, you know, that's why I do what I do. Yes. I was fortunate. My doctor was just real blunt with me back in 2016. He told me based on my lab results and being fat, I had a 95% chance for a fatal heart attack. 
So, you know, he'd been after me for eight years to lose the weight. And he, he gave me two options, lose the weight or find a new doctor. And he strongly encouraged me to find a new doctor. Because as I said, he'd been after me for eight years to do something and I hadn't. This time I did. And I've kept it off. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting that you took it and turned it around and made it a good thing, right? A lot of people, when they go to other doctors, they they don't get that same response, right? Maybe they have overweight or obesity and they go to an orthopedic and they're having joint pain, right? They just say, go lose some weight and come back and then I'll do the procedure. Like that doesn't resonate well with, you know, most people. And that isn't necessarily going to be a motivator to drive them to go lose the weight. It might just cause emotional eating and make it all worse. It's hard to know. Yeah. I understand that. I met when I lost the weight, my wife and I were on vacation in Costa Rica and I met a internal medicine doctor and we were talking and he was overweight and he said he had to lose 80 pounds to have a hip replacement because his you know friend who was an orthopedic surgeon wasn't able to get in there to replace you know the hip because there's just too much fat and we were talking a little bit about everything and then he said to me well when you get to my age you know you look at things a little differently and i said i understand he says what do you mean you understand i said we're about the same age he goes no we're not I said, well, how old are you? He says, I'm 59. And he looked at me, he says, how old are you? And at the time I was 63. So I told him 63, he just shook his head and walked away. I never saw him again. (laughs) So what I tell people is it's not the age, it's your mental attitude toward it. In fact, this past June at 67, I hiked up Kilimanjaro. So if I can do it, I tell my audience, anybody else can do it. Just, you know, put your mindset to it and, and, change your eating habits and lifestyle. Totally. I agree. That's awesome. What's a good way for someone to get in touch with you if they're in the Clearwater area or in Florida or just want to reach out to you? Sure. I guess Instagram on Clearwater Family Medicine, and it has that link tree link as well on that site. And then under Facebook at Carrie Reller. And our office website is I guess just carryrellermd.com works probably the easiest. Yeah. Well, this has been super exciting for me to be able to talk to you. Appreciate you taking the time and spend with us. And can you leave one final thought for the audience? Yeah. Like, like I said before, I say, don't quit. Please keep coming back and keep trying and, you know, things will get better and work itself out. So just never stop trying. Don't quit. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Dr. Keller for being the guest today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Stop Dieting Podcast. Remember to like and subscribe so you won't miss a single episode to get more healthy eating and lifestyle tips. Motivate and inspire others to be healthy by sharing with your friends. 